Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Uh, we're both very... You're, you're Tyler, but you're also very tired. Yes, yes. Uh, um, because of... Um, weirdly pleased with myself. I, um, yeah, it's... Look, it, it wasn't bad, but yeah. it wasn't great either. It doesn't deserve the expression that's on your face right now. Because I'm thinking about, I did this to my, my my poor wife has to put up with my corny jokes. But you know what? Yeah. I say that, but one of the things we have in common is she likes corny jokes as much as I do. Yeah. Unlike you. And I once like stopped what we were doing to say like, apropos of nothing. Hey, you know, what would be another good title for the movie. Stand by me remains to be seen. Hey, that's pretty good. But that is, I, I, I do think it's not bad, but yeah. it's me having like stopping what we're doing and saying, I oh, have to tell yeah. you this thing I just thought of. Yeah. And it'd be funny if you guys were having a very serious conversation and then you stopped it. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, there's I also, um, I think my wife thought this was funny once, but I now do it like all the time. We're in a parking lot. So I'll, to me, a compact parking spot mm. under a tree, that's Slim Shady. <laughs> and I say it, like, like anytime I see it, and I'm like, oh, there's a Slim Shady over there. <laughs> oh, I hate you so much. But it's, yeah, it's not bad. Don't get me wrong. Um, yeah, it's... <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. So well, what I was saying that that, yeah. that ties into what I was saying, which is that you're very tired because you're yeah. a new dad. So we're going to keep this short. Why don't we, why don't you start telling us what, what you watched? All right. So I do have a couple of rewatches. I don't tell you what to do. Yeah. I'll, I'll take my sweet time if I want. Um, so let's see here. Okay, so this is a rewatch of a movie I know you love. I have not seen it in probably 20 years, maybe not quite that long, but it's been a while. And that is Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas. Oh, yeah, I, I've watched that. It's probably been over a year now, which is probably the first time in a long time I've gone a full year without watching Goodfellas. Yeah, it's it's a it's probably it probably hasn't been 20 years. I'm sure I watched it uh, in college. Um, I saw it in high school as well. But uh, uh, as you know, like this, along with um, that other great uh, Scorsese film, Raging Bull, is one that I rarely feel the need to revisit uh, because it is just so unpleasant. Uh, obviously, the the filmmaking quality is about as high as you can get um and great acting and i'm invested but uh but i thought but i figured like i'm going to give this another shot um mm -hmm. just like i'm going to watch raging bull again sometime soon um because just like sort of it was it was sort of my uh, my new year's resolution and i'm actually uh trying to make good on it, which is like rewatch things that, uh, that I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, and so in rewatching Goodfellas, I definitely ha had a much stronger, um, sense of the insulated community. And you really, it, it really does such a great job of, 
uh, transporting you into the mind of Henry Hill and like how good it feels to be accepted uh, by the, these people around you. Um, and it is also very funny. That's what course. I was going to say when you were talking about like unpleasant to watch. Like when I think of Goodfellas, I think of how funny it is. But I think that's that's what gets me is that, you know, the the nature of of these guys is that a scene that is extremely funny could turn could turn to violence immediately. Uh, and so the humor always has attention to it for me. Well, yeah. Oh yeah. The, the best example of that, a, a scene that is both very funny and incredibly tense is De Niro going like, no, down there. Go in oh there. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like ridiculous. It's yeah. so obvious that it's funny, but you're also like worried for her life. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, in watching it again, I, I definitely got a, such a stronger sense of place, for lack of a better term. Um, and, but I still found it a tremendously stressful movie. And I don't hold it like uh, mission accomplished. I think that's what he's what he's trying to do, especially in certain scenes. Uh, but it's just not. Just God help me, it's just not a, a movie that I am gonna. I'll probably watch it once or mo once or twice more before I die, but I cannot subject myself to this <laughs> once a year like you do. Uh, that's that, that, that's uh, that's an odd. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. It's it, it's uh, I find it to be a very uh, enjoyable movie. Um, I've seen it enough times that uh, I, I talked about it in the last movie movie journal that I watched the forty year old version, mm -hmm. and uh, the actress I had to look her up, uh, Welker White shows up in in um the 40 year old version and eventually you realize she's a character you're not supposed to like but i already didn't like her because it's fucking lois with her lucky hat it ruins everything that's right <laughs> yeah and so as soon as i saw her i was like fucking lois <laughs> yeah it's and that's the thing it's it's so interesting i mean the i think the film does such a great job of of making you empathize with henry hill that when things, you know, when he starts to get like really involved in drugs and doing lots of drugs and his, his downfall is imminent, uh, and, and obvious, uh, you know, you start feeling like, oh yeah, this is where things are going to go bad. It's like, no, they've been bad. A lot of people have died. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like, but in his mind, that's an unfortunate reality of the life, but it hasn't really come back to touch him yet, but now things are starting to touch him. And that, and so in those moments, we feel what he's feeling. So again, like it's, it's top notch filmmaking and wonderful acting and all of that, but it really is just a, not a, not a, world, not a world I enjoy being a part of. Uh, all right. Uh, I'll go next. Um, if that's okay with everyone, um, now that the holidays are, over, uh, we're back to, uh, the, somewhat weekly practice of uh natalie showing me a movie f that from her childhood oh, yes. that she loved that i haven't seen and mo most of these if, if people who have been keeping up with the movie journals most of these are movies that came out during her like the 80s and 90s and she was a young person that came out but she decided to make me watch a movie that uh and i said make me watch i loved it um a movie that came out well before she was born that she but that she watched all the time as a little kid okay and she hadn't seen it in probably 30 years um, or, or close to that. Uh, and this is a movie I think you like, if I remember, and that's 1963's The Sword in the Stone. Uh, I, I, I do like it. I will say that in, in watching it again 
recently, I watched it all the time when I was a kid, but in watching it again somewhat recently, I felt it dragged a bit. And oh, it's that's certainly, it's because certainly, it's only 80 minutes. Yeah. And it's very episodic and it jumps from one to the next pretty That's pretty what I easily. liked yeah. about it. Having, having just watched, cause this is Disney, you know, mm-hmm. and having just recently watched soul, you know, a, a representation of where Disney, I mean, that's Pixar, but it's Disney Pixar, sure. you know, where Disney is now. Um, uh, it, it, it felt like two different, completely different worlds to see this movie that does not take itself seriously in the least. Yeah. The sword in the stone is just a romp. It barely even really has a story. It has right. a, a, a premise to hang a, uh, these episodes on, which is that Merlin is uh, giving lessons to this young boy who's going to become King Arthur. So each yeah. of these, you know, um, these different episodes is, is a lesson or at one point it's a battle with another wizard that the main character isn't even a part of um, yeah. uh, for the most part. Uh, and I just found it so uh, div- diverting in a good way and delightful mm-hmm. and, and um, cute. Uh, Natalie, Natalie put it like, uh, there's a scene where they're, they turn in, they turn themselves into squirrels. Yes. And, um, and Natalie put it in such a succinct way that's so true. She was like, it's cute because they look like squirrels, but they also look like themselves. <laughs> yes, that's true. And, and that's, it's very cute. Um, uh, I, uh, I, I can't believe this is one that I somehow m- missed. Um, I'm wondering if I, I like, I feel like my, my parents would have seen it. I guess my parents would have been like four or five. Maybe they were too, it's too old for even my parents. Hmm. Uh, and that's why they didn't think to show it to me. Yeah. But, um, uh, I, uh, really, really enjoyed it. And I, I look forward to revisiting it from time to time because it's, it's a very, unlike you with Goodfellas, it's an incredibly easy watch. It does not demand sure. very much of you. Um, and also, oh, it um, there's another knight who shows up at the end who's just like, let's give the boy a chance. And as soon as he spoke, I was like, oh, that that's Thurl Ravenscroft. That's the oh, sure. That's the Grinch guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's been he's uh, done a, a lot of voice work, and uh, his voice does not. Yeah, it's pretty recognizable. Yeah, uh, he was also the voice of Tony the Tiger for a long time. Oh, I, did, um, I didn't know that. But yeah, he literally it's, he's not even really a character. He's just like the one other knight who has a speaking part other than like rah, rah, rah. at the yeah, end yeah. he's the one who actually says like yeah like i said first he says like let's give the boy a chance and he says all hail king arthur that was like <laughs> his only two lines in the entire movie but it's so clearly thorough ravenscroft uh okay so next up for me uh a, a film that uh, the film detective sent me uh on uh, recently uh, released on blu-ray is from 1958 it is richard Kuna, I don't know if that's how you say his last name. Uh, his, uh, it's called Giant from the Unknown. And it is, uh, it's everything that you expect from like a 1950s B movie, um, which is to say, very little very little footage of like the monster uh certainly not very suspenseful these days but lots and lots of dialogue scenes with people explaining things. Um, and I, I loved it up to a point and then it really started to lose me. Um, it's, I mean, it's such a, it's such a wonderful product of its time. Like there is, 
it's the kind of thing that would absolutely trigger like a, i would say a, a sort of a forward-thinking feminist type like there's a there's a, a scene where like there are two scientists uh an older man and then a younger man and then the older man's daughter is there with them and so uh, they're going to go off. The two scientists are going to go off and explore something. And then the daughter says, it's like, well, she's like, well, what do I do? And he's like, well, you've already made the bed. So why don't you uh, get, you know, pick up the camp and get breakfast ready, you know, like, <laughs> and it's done like, you know, and, and then like she, she leaves, uh, they leave and, and she's, she's like, men have all the fun. And, uh, and there are a few other examples of that. And uh, it's like, Oh, wow. That's, that was done totally unironically that's fun um but uh but yeah and then the the other thing that gets me is the monster itself it's 1958 i think they i think they ran out of monsters by the time they got to this because it is the giant here is is giant in the in like our definition you know somebody who's probably like seven feet tall Oh, okay. Okay. Not an actual giant. And it's, and so, uh, the title is giant from the unknown. It is not unknown where he's from. Uh, he is a, uh, a 16th century Spanish conquistador, uh, who was known for being particularly brutal. And then he wound up randomly getting preserved in like this specific mountain soil and then he was resurrected by a lightning strike now i know all this because there are so many scenes explaining uh <laughs> where he came from and all that and he's just not that interesting as a from a visual standpoint and also like he essentially is just like a frankenstein's monster clone he's just kind of lumbering around and it's like well i'm pretty sure this guy could talk he was like a conquistador who like commanded an army uh but they didn't they weren't interested in that so it's it's just one of those things where you really enjoy the 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 lead up to it and then after a while you're like all right let's let's move this along this is night this is not frightening and uh, it's, it just gets a little monotonous after a while, but, uh, but I enjoyed it up to a point and it definitely made me want to watch more movies like this from that era because it's such a specific type of film. Um, so if people enjoy like these types of B movies, whether they're like good or not, uh, I would recommend giant from the own, the unknown. Uh, all right. Next up, I watched, the uh, the new movie uh, forthcoming on on Netflix, new movie from filmmaker Ramin Barani. Uh, it's called The White Tiger. Okay. Uh, not to be confused with the movie that you and I have uh, subtitled Ghost Tank, which yes. is just called The White Tiger from 2012. Mm -hmm. I think um, this is The White Tiger, and uh, I really enjoyed this movie. But it's the kind of movie that I, like. I think you and I have talked about this. We talked about this with, uh, with Scott before on the show. Sometimes you're watching a movie and you're enjoying it, but you're also already imagining what the people who don't like it are going to complain about and oh, getting sure. like preemptively mad about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, I really liked the white tiger, but it has in some ways, I think it has some DNA in common in a lot of ways, actually, uh, when I think about it, um, um, it has some, some DNA in common with something like the Wolf of Wall Street, which mm. if you remember, a lot of people were uh, complaining that it was glorifying this, this behavior. People who can't 
see beneath the surface yeah. of, of anything uh, had that complaint and the white tiger is very much that it's about a um it takes place in india um uh it, it, it's about a young man from one of the lowest castes who works his way up to being a uh a self-made business owner and a wealthy man um but does not he he pulls himself up by his bootstraps in a way, but doesn't do it in the wholesome way that that uh, sure. uh, phrase normally uh, suggests. And I think that's uh, no coincidence. I think the movie is um, a pretty damning indictment of uh, capitalism and what um, defining success financially requires from people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, uh, that if that's your idea of succeeding, then um, you're going to lose some of your humanity. You're going to have to think of yourself before uh, uh, other people. But it's also at the same time, this is why the movie is is more complex th- than that. You know, Rami and Barani tends to make complex movies about economic realities. If you think about like 99 Homes or mm-hmm. um, uh, what was the one that I liked nobody else did with Dennis Quaid and Zac Efron? Do you remember that movie? Um uh no i can't think of the name of that movie um i liked that one uh oh that's gonna bother me now um anyway uh it has other things because it's also at the same time um saying condemning india for not being as free or you know as democratic uh or as you, you know um uh liberated as it likes to say it is that that um that he's you know, he's a, as a lower class, lower caste person, he's essentially uh, treated as a slave. He's, he has no, even though there are laws that say that, you know, uh, you know, if his, if his employer smacks him around, technically there's a law against that, but there's no mechanism by which he can mm-hmm. seek justice or recourse. Um, and so, yeah, uh, all the other characters in the movie don't turn out that don't come off that well uh, either it's a movie uh, it's a it's a it's a pessimistic movie about humanity and the various um uh structures by which we uh, uh express our humanity or conduct ourselves as a as a society i think it's a it is a pitch black movie it's uh, um often very upsetting but in a way that doesn't a lot because it, it's from the lead character's point of view. The things that are upsetting aren't like the movie isn't saying, isn't this awful? The movie is saying, this is what this guy did. This is he's, he's super happy with all the decisions he made because of where right. they led him. And the movie trusts you to, to, to see, uh, beneath that. Um, it's, uh, I thought it was terrific. Uh, it's very, and it's very, uh, uh, lively and, and beautifully shot. And it's also, I should say this actor, his name's Adarsh Guyav, Gur, sorry, Adar, Adarsh Gurav. Um, I don't know what else, uh, he, he's, he's done. Uh, I mean, it looks like a handful of things, um, in India that I don't know if they've been, been seen here, but the movie works because you know, it's two hours and 10 minutes. That's almost all just about this guy. And the movie works because this performance is uh, pitch perfect, seamless and uh, so energetic and uh, sympathetic, but also hateful at the same time. It's a, it's a great well-rounded um, performance that is also not asking, you know, uh, I always, 
the example I always think of is one of the reasons I dislike or I don't entirely love the movie Whiplash mm-hmm. um, is because I feel like Miles Teller as an actor is a little too vain to play the character as uh, uh, superficial um, and and uh, um, what's what I'm looking for ambitious in the bad way like he's. I feel like Miles Teller is apologizing for the character's more negative traits in Whiplash a lot of the time, and that turns me off. And uh, this guy, Gurev, um, uh, Adarsh Gurev, uh, doesn't do that. It's uh, I really can't say enough nice things about this movie, but I'm saying them especially because I can already tell that some people are going to like it. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, that was actually, to go back to Goodfellas and talking about Wolf of Wall Street and Scorsese, that idea of just like, the character might not actually have an arc and you yourself are, are the one that's trusted to, uh, to condemn their behavior. You know, at the end of Goodfellas, yeah, Henry Hill may have informed on these other guys, but only because he was convinced they were going to kill him. And in actuality, he kind of wishes that he still lived that life, but it's not possible for him anymore. Um, but, uh, okay. So speaking of, movies about wealth and that sort of thing. Uh, the next movie is a rewatch. It's a film I've seen many times, but it has been a while since I saw it. And that is Barbara Schroeder's reversal of fortune. And so in the last, in the last few years, I have, um, I've done uh, some script consulting and that has given me more appreciation for structure than I've really had before. Um, like what's a good structure, what's a bad structure. And like, if you're going to, uh, if you're going to do something a little different than sort of the standard structure, uh, how are you justifying it? And in watching reversal of fortune, I mean, I already knew how much I loved Jeremy Irons and Ron Silver and Glenn Close. Uh, and I already knew how much I loved the movie in general, but I don't think I fully appreciated how disjointed it would seem to be. Um, it's, it's in some ways very straightforward as far as the, the process of the appeal, but we jump back and forth between uh, the past and the present. Um, and they're not, they can't fully be called flashbacks because sometimes they're just somebody's theory about what might've happened. Um, and yet you're always able to follow it. You're always able to keep track of what's going on. Um, and it's, it's just such a, such a solidly sturdy film that is shot in a very straightforward way, but it is, uh, heavily stylized when we deal with Sunny, like in her coma, um, which makes sense because that's sort of the most fantastical part of the, of the movie. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just a, so I was watching it in turn, my friend, Scott, uh, back in Chicago, who you have met Scott Cupper. Um, he and his friends, uh, have like a weekly movie night. And once, once uh, the pandemic happened, they moved it to zoom, which meant I could be a part of it. And so, uh, it was my turn to pick and I picked reversal of fortune partially cause I just got it for Christmas on Blu-ray. And, uh, and I wasn't sure what they what the people in the group were going to think of it. Uh, but it was a fun conversation to have. And one thing that I talked about is like that it's a film that movie people talked about a lot at the time. 
and seem to be sort of in the public consciousness. Like why else would in the Lion King scar say you have no idea, like an overt reference to reversal of fortune. Like why else would that be there if not to please like the audience, the, the adults in the audience? Um, but I feel like over over the years, it has been it's just not really talked about that much. And that's perfectly fine. But it is unfortunate because I think uh, I think film people are uh, missing out on, I think, a really well written, well structured, beautifully acted film. Yeah, I, I, I need to rewatch it because I saw it, I think, back when you and I lived together. I saw it on your recommendation. I think mm-hmm. I watched your VHS copy of it. Probably. Sure. Um, so I would love to watch it on 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 Blu-ray or something like that. Yeah, uh, get I, the whole picture. Uh, my friend pointed out that uh, because when I mentioned that uh, I had gotten that VHS as a birthday present from my brother. Uh, and then I think I, I don't remember when I got it on DVD, but a friend said, like, so you had you've had reversal of fortune yeah. on every. Every, every new uh, format. It's like, yeah, I guess so. It's that important of a movie to me. That and Jaws. Uh, all right. Uh, next up for me is a ridiculous movie that okay. I think you would enjoy. Not, It's not good. It's a very bad movie. Okay. Uh, but um, in, in, in most traditional ways. Uh, I'm talking about Simon West's new movie, Skyfire. I was looking, I didn't read your review and I hadn't heard of the film, but when I was like, Skyfire, what the hell is that? Uh, And it looked very schlocky. It's yeah. Well, I mean, it's a big, very expensive looking Chinese like blockbuster. It came out in China at the end of December. Um, uh, But it's directed by, uh, uh, an Englishman, uh, Simon West. And, uh, one of its stars is, uh, an Englishman, Jason Isaacs, though doing, I believe it's supposed to be an Australian accent, uh, in, in the movie, but the rest of the cast, uh, I, I think is, is all, is all Chinese. Most of the dialogue is in, is in Chinese. Um, but it is clearly what if instead of dinosaurs in Jurassic park, it was, a volcano going off in a fancy resort. So Jason, so uh, Jason Isaacs plays this developer who is so sure that this active volcano isn't going to go off. He's been assured for 150 years or so that he builds um, a, a resort slash almost like amusement park type thing with like rides that go up to the volcano and stuff. Oh, wow. And um, uh, he's got his first like sort of trial run of, of people staying there, but he's also got the, uh, he's got press. Um, so it's, yeah. instead of, so he's in, he's in the John Hammond role basically. Sure. Uh, and instead of scientists and stuff, he's brought press on the day that guess what happens? A massive volcano goes off and, and, and the rest of the movie is, is, uh, one set piece after another of people trying to get away from lava or superheated gas or the, uh, um, I, I know from watching the Werner Herzog documentary about volcanoes and I think called into the abyss like mm. five or six years ago that the pieces of like molten, like rock and, and, and lava that shoot out of um, volcanoes are, are literally called bombs. That's what they're mm. called. So when I say bombs, I'm talking about, yeah. uh, uh, and, um, the movie is full of just the corniest shit. Like before the, 
before the volcano goes off and outside because there's scientists who work for the resort who are trying who are who are who are kind of like saying hey the movie this isn't the best idea but also they're on the payroll but there's an outside scientist who figures out i think this thing's gonna blow and he does and so he we see him at his at his home lab and he's looking at a picture like a live feed of the uh the volcano and then he pulls up a picture of the volcano from the last time it explodes and then the camera cuts close to his face and he goes my god <laughs> oh wow <laughs> so it's full of stuff like that uh but then i mean the 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 big like sequences are i mean there is a certain a lot of it's a disaster movie so uh, there's always a bit of like moral achiness to disaster movies because part of the thrill is watching people get killed yes and there's a ton of there's so many people like there, there's that's why unlike jurassic park which only had a handful of like staff and visitors they've got the full resort is like or at least the first level of it or first wave of it is already open and so there's tourists who just get killed left and right um uh they just they're just fodder they're just there for yeah. us to see people what how many different interesting ways could a person die from a volcano going off and that's uh, uh that's what happens but i will say like a lot of these uh things are are uh inventive there's a part where they're trying to get down from from the volcano uh two groups of people trying to get down from the volcano back down to the resort uh, as the volcano is going off and they're on these they have these like hanging like monorails that zip down the mountain right Mm -hmm. but um a, a bomb right comes and breaks one of the monorail tracks a bit further down so okay. then with these two monorails zooming down the mountain together they have to open the doors and people have to jump from one to the other before the, the monorail on the bad track reaches that's ridiculous the track. but it sounds and exciting also every five seconds there's a huge a huge like pylon that holds up the monorail so they like <laughs> yeah you get it you uh yeah. you like movies oh, you get yeah. that this is uh this is exciting um uh, uh so that 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 kind of stuff is fun there's also some ridiculous there's one uh all the people like trying to get away from the resort and as fast as they can you see a guy like take a um what's it called uh jet ski he takes a jet ski and he's trying to get away and he like does a ramp up you know like he like flies up in the air and one of those volcano bombs knocks him off the jet ski and the jet ski keeps going <laughs> that's ridiculous that but, is uh, yeah uh but you know the whole thing's like 95 minutes and uh it doesn't waste any time getting going and uh despite it getting no real release here it's a it's an expensive looking uh chinese movie i uh it's real real dumb i have to warn everyone but it also it will scratch the itch that it yeah uh, that, that it sets out to scratch I kind of love volcano movies uh-huh. um, because the idea of like molten lava is like, I find it hypnotic to watch uh, like on YouTube videos and stuff. Um, but the idea of this, this stuff that is just so hot that like, if you come close to it, like you could burst into flame just by like, that's horrifying and fascinating to me. You know, I, so I spent the movie watching it, not realizing how long ago it had been produced. Okay. Um, um, because I was thinking about the, I don't know if you know about the white Island, uh, volcano explosion, um, in, in New Zealand. Uh, I, I thought this movie like was 
either an intentional condemnation or, or an intentional comment on that or was in very poor taste right. because that was another thing where there was an active volcano you know agencies were like this isn't safe but tour groups were running daily adventure tours to 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 explore the volcanic island or whatever and then one day it went off and 22 people were were killed mm-hmm. um and 25 people uh seriously injured um and i was watching the movie being like this you know, using a volcano as a tourist destination seems like that's a little yeah. too close to this. It seems like it might be in poor taste. And then I realized, then I realized, oh, this was made before that happened. Not only is it made, it was made before that happened, but the White Island volcano explosion was December 9th, twenty nineteen. Okay. Skyfire was released in theaters in China on December twelfth, twenty nineteen. So. Really? Uh, I wonder, I don't know, uh, what conversations were, I don't know if we have any listeners in, in China or in New Zealand, uh, who could, uh, speak to if Skyfire got any bad press at the time for, for right. that. But, um, anyway, I w- just wanted to bum everybody out by bringing down the 22 people who were killed on uh, yeah. White Island. It's, it sounds like such a, on, in any, on any level, oh, just such a horrifying way to die. Um, but it's also, I mean, yes, but it, like what because i read a whole gq article that was like a beat what, what journalists would call like a tiktok of that day like mm-hmm. saying everything that happened and i guess it's horrifying but i guess one of the upsides of being killed by superheated gas that's moving at 100 miles per hour is that it happens pretty much instantaneously. sure yeah i'm sure i mean it's horrifying because there's no like remains to be like yeah. uh um identified and stuff like that but uh at least it probably wasn't very painful yeah for, that's true yeah anyway um, what, anything, what an awful way to go yeah absolutely uh and speaking I mean, this podcast <laughs> and yet we're both gonna die doing it um okay so uh speaking of death uh my next film is but this Albert- is your last one right it is. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Is Albert Brooks defending your life, uh, a film that I think I had started watching in high school and never finished. Um, and so I, I saw it on um, HBO Max the other day and thought like, oh, I'll give this a shot. Uh, have you seen it? I have not seen it. OK, it's it's that Albert Brooks sense of humor, uh, which I feel because he wrote and directed it. And he stars um, where it is very dry sometimes very obvious uh there is no question in my mind that the the makers of the good place looked at this when they were coming up with some of the ideas uh for the afterlife um and the idea here being that you die you go to this uh this world where you stay in a really nice hotel all the food is delicious um and you're assigned a defender a a lawyer um who will there there will be a, a trial there's a prosecutor as well and you'll see like scenes from your life and you have to defend your behavior and if it's found to be indefensible then there you won't go to hell but you get sent back to earth to try it again so it's kind of a reincarnation idea um and it's just so it's it's my kind of humor like a hundred percent um as albert brooks tends to be um whether as an actor or or as a writer um stuff and his his uh he plays a guy who dies rather comedically uh getting hit by a bus um and then his lawyer is 
played by Rip Torn in that kind of like that um, that Larry Sanders, like positive and enthusiastic Rip Torn, which is just so much fun. Um, and, uh, and then while Albert, Br Albert Brooks is, is there, he meets another, uh, another person, uh, played by Meryl Streep and they sort of fall in love, which is an unexpected thing in this situation. Uh, and it's just written. So it's just such a delightful movie. I'd say it's, it's pretty light. Uh, but some of the ideas are, are interesting. The, I, primarily this idea that, the the thing that defines like not having lived a good life is essentially if you are motivated like completely by fear um and if you can get over your fear then then the your then your actions will probably be so much so much more selfless so much purer whatever you want to say um and so i think that's an interesting idea uh i think albert brooks was absolutely trying to do something and trying to say something with the film uh and in the meantime creates uh, a, a delightful little comedy that i think people will enjoy um the the line that sticks with me oddly enough and then it is a very you know there's it's a very quotable movie but um uh, Rip Torn and, and, and Albert Brooks are, are eating at like a, like a hotel cafe and Albert Brooks, like he, he loves the chicken that he's eating. Cause everything that you eat, it's the best you've ever had. And, uh, and Rip Torn has to leave. And so he goes, he goes, do you like that chicken? Do you want to take it with you? Go ahead and ask, uh, go and ask, uh, go ahead and ask somebody. They love putting things in bags here. And like, it's, it's such a specific thing, uh, that in this weird sort of perfect world, uh, they, they love bagging something up and handing it to you. Uh, and I'm, and they never explained that. It just sounded delightful to me. Um, but yeah, so I think people would, I think people would enjoy it. I think you would like it as well. Um, yeah, I, I should watch it. Um, speaking of the that thing of having started a movie, never finishing it. Now, I I've never done that in the sense that I've never, and I don't think this is what what is for you either. Or I've only twice in my life have I started a movie that I uh, disliked so much that I just turned it off. Mm -hmm. um, but I do have one, a very good movie that I never finished, the original Three Ten to Yuma. Back oh, that's in, a good one. Uh, yeah, so back in like I'm gonna guess this was maybe 2009 I was watching it. I decided I was looking at back when I had like time Warner cable and they had just like movies on demand. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was like, Oh, what's on demand. And I was like, Oh, the original three ten to Yuma. And I started watching it. And then I think, I think, uh, uh a friend like texted me and was like, Hey, do you want to call us? And I was like, Oh yeah. And so I like stopped it and I was like, I'll finish this tomorrow and went out and then I went to finish it tomorrow and it was no longer available on time on demand. And I, mm. now I can totally rent it. I probably should just to, yeah. to finish it. But, uh, that's the only movie that I've ever, uh, just not gotten around to finishing. Yeah. There was, uh, in high school I would rent, I would rent so many movies when I worked at video update, like they didn't have a, a limit on how many movies you could have out at a time as an employee. And so I had like 10, 12 at any given time. And so I would, I would start a movie and then it's not that I wouldn't enjoy it. It's that I would, I had a lot of things going and I wouldn't finish it. And I just, it just kind of slipped my mind and defending your life. I was like, yeah, that's one that I never got around to. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And then there was, uh, I remember, uh, I watched in high school, I watched, um, 
the day the earth stood still hmm. and uh i watched it in two sittings uh i had gotten through uh, a lot of it and then I actually had to go into work. So I stopped it and then I came back and realized that there were about 20 seconds left uh, in the film. And I, it's like, Oh, okay. Got it. I, I, I did pro- that. I wasn't able to, because I was young, I wasn't able to read where the film was headed. If I had, I feel like these days I'd probably be like, Oh, we're at the, we're at the end now. Um, it, yeah, I had a similar thing, not a good movie, but a similar thing um, uh, where I was at home in, in the basement. I was probably yeah a, a teenager and I was watching, of all things, uh, was it called Sweet November? The uh, Keanu Reeves, yeah. Charlie Theron movie. Yeah. And I was watching it and watching it. And then like my mom, my mom was like, you know, we're having dinner. You have to come upstairs now. So I was like, all right, I paused it and like went upstairs and like had a whole dinner and everything. And then I was like, all right, I guess I better go and finish this movie. <laughs> it's like, yeah, 20 seconds went by <laughs> and the credits went up. Um, all right. Okay, so uh, you then, have one more. Yeah. One more. Um, I just watched uh, fitting for this weekend. It's out in theaters this weekend. You, or, you know, it's out. I say in theaters, uh, because, uh, I'm still living in the past, but, uh, yeah. it's available this weekend. Um, the review is already up on the website, Sam Pollard's MLK FBI, which is, um, you know, not the, the clever isn't the clever. The title isn't trying to be clever or fool you. It's a movie about, uh, that basically tracks Martin Luther King's activism through the sixties with the J Edgar Hoover's, um, kind of obsessive surveillance of, of, yeah. of him. Um, and it, you know, it makes a lot of, the cases uh, cases for you know when we when we talk about this now everyone like uh, people tend to just be on martin luther king's side sure. which is correct but there's a the, the movie reminds you that J. edgar hoover was a much more popular character person in the american uh uh mind and in in terms of approval ratings and stuff um an actual poll had him like 30 points ahead of martin luther king jr at the, at the time um so that's that, so that's interesting to sort of re- remind people that he wasn't just this like uh, uh you know hobgoblin uh, yeah. um, uh, uh tormenting martin luther king jr i mean he was that but also a lot of people were on his side um uh, and then we makes it, you know, make some speculation, certainly about, uh, um, well, you don't have to do much speculating about him being racist. There's things he said that are like pretty racist, but also, um, the movie brings in some speculation about his Hoover's sexuality, his, and his repression of that sexuality and the fact that, or the implication, we don't really know that the, the infidelities that, uh, on Martin Luther King Jr.'s part that Hoover um, was aware, the FBI were aware of at the time um, were not just garden variety infidelities. He was a very, uh, uh, at least the implication is that Martin Luther King Jr. was especially sort of adventurous in his sexual uh, uh, tastes and, and that um, uh, Hoover being so repressed himself found that especially disgusting. So on top right. of hating him for being uh, an outspoken black man, he was especially disgusted. But uh, eventually the movie also gets into like the idea that Martin Luther King Jr. was, um, 
you know, a Baptist minister, uh, a avowed uh, uh, loving husband, and these things that he were doing, he was doing were infidelities. They were betrayals, and in, yeah. in, in some to some degree, they were hypocrisies. Um, and I think the movie itself is. I mean, it's you know we. We talk about like the bio doc, which we usually say uh, mm-hmm. in a kind of um, derogatory uh, way about certain yeah. documentaries. Well, there's another kind of documentary that I essentially think of as like PowerPoint movies. Sure. Um, and for the most part, MLK FBI is a PowerPoint movie. But I think, uh, like a lot of movies, you know, you know, movies when we look at movies from the past, they reveal things about what was going on in the country, in the culture, in the society at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something maybe subconscious of, in MLK FBI about our current anxieties about the idea that the people that we hold up as uh, that we idolize, we hold up as champions, we lionize. There's there's always potentially another shoe waiting to drop. Yeah. Uh, Twitter even has a term for that the milkshake duck um uh, coined by the pixelated boat uh, account it's a funny tweet um okay. everyone tyler everyone listening to this knows what i'm referring to you okay. are yeah. oh I, I don't <laughs> doubt it i don't doubt it um, um and uh and and I, and I do think that's that's something that's that's going on that like i think that's on the movie's mind subconsciously that like what martin Luther king stood for what he spoke for what he uh you know walked or sat or act uh, activated what's to be an activist i guess yeah. uh, well um for um were were right he was right he did a lot of good but by making it about him at all it a uh uh puts the it diminishes the movement to one man and yeah. also jeopardizes the movement by uh by by uh resting it on the reputation of someone that is a human being yeah you know um and that's something i've been thinking about in 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 recent years that um you know people uh, you hear people say like oh we shouldn't be yeah. Okay. People, people say like, you shouldn't be making statues of X, Y, or Z. And, uh, my, my thing is maybe we should rethink making statues of people. <laughs> like maybe yeah. we should rethink, uh, turning individuals into, uh, uh, demigods. Um, uh, but the other, the, the maybe a, a more, uh, appropriate uh, example and also one that's more appropriate to our audience is the idea that they're used to the Oscars used to give a DW Griffith award. Yeah. And the award wasn't for best racist filmmaker, right. Right. Or, or best maker of a racist film. Uh, however you want to say it. Um, um, and I think, you know, people generally understood that, but also it became the reputation of the birth of the nation rightly became too big to ignore. And they changed the name. They took his name off of the, the, uh, the award. And I think, I think that was the right thing to do. And I think what we like, as we learn more and more about people, we need to be maybe more careful about, about naming things after people in the first place. Trying to think if I, agree with that. I think I probably do. Um, in fact, actually like everything that, uh, 
has been happening in the last week or so. Uh, my friends and I were talking about it and I said like, yeah, this is, this is what happens when you don't really care that much about principles. It's just all about a, a central figure. And if that central figure falls out of power uh, and then fights that, then you're like, well, I, I need to fight on behalf of this figure. Um, and yeah, that's, it's something that I, this is, is weird, but like the very first pastor that I ever had uh, got involved, like was fired due to like embezzlement uh, after shortly after we left uh, the church and that, and then, you know, the second church uh, again, after we left, uh, we keep narrowly missing uh, these, uh, <laughs> these terrible things, but, um, but they, uh, that the church split because of an argument between the pastor and like the, the worship leader, whatever. Um, and it definitely got me thinking like, yeah, you really like, you certainly, you can admire someone and they can, and maybe they produced something. It could be a book. It could be a speech, whatever it is that, that is admirable and actually even transcends who they are as a person. Uh, and you can admire that. But yeah, the minute you start saying that, like, you start putting your, your faith in that person. This isn't about me, my trust issues, but like once you start putting faith in that person and your identity in that person, then like, you're just, you're just begging to be let down and you're begging to be shaken as well, uh, probably to your core. And then you don't know what to do. Whereas if you're committed more to the principles that this person was committed to, but maybe was unable to hold up completely themselves, then you'll be fine. Um, and that's, you know, uh, so I, well, I'm not sure if it's, I understand the idea of like building a monument to a person or naming something after a person, because ideally you are, like you said, with DW Griffith, you're, you're building a monument to what they represent because it, it's harder to build a monument to a, a, a larger representation. You know, you have to pick one person. Um, and so, yeah, it's from a, from a larger sense, I think I probably agree with you from a practical sense. I'm not sure if it's, if it's pot, maybe just hold, let's no monuments anymore to anything. Um, okay. 